Welcome. My name's Nathan. Ruth and I lead the church. It's great to have you with us. If you have just joined us, um, we are in the Gospel of John and we're up to John chapter 14 today. Um, we're looking at the I am statements that Jesus makes and these all reveal that he is Messiah. He is King Jesus. He is the Redeemer. He is the Chosen One of God, the Son of God. But they also reveal the character of God as well in these things. Um, I don't know about you, I loved hearing um, Sham and Mike's um, proposal stories. Um, and there's a really interesting parallel in the passage we're going to be looking at today around wedding proposal. So that's where we're going to be. Um, so, so far in the series, we looked at Jesus, the light of the world. We looked at Jesus, the bread of life, Jesus, the gate or the door, Jesus, the good shepherd. And last week, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and we've looked look at these statements and we see the depths of the words of Jesus. Um, and one of the trends we've seen in these um, passages is that Jesus quite often um, talks to the crowd or talks to the disciples on a level that they're not at. And they kind of miss each other. So they talk about spirit, uh, physical hunger after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says, actually, no, it's about spiritual hunger. And it's as if they kind of miss each other. Um, so last week we looked at um, Jesus standing at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and we saw that he proclaims that he is the resurrection and the life and he gives his life as he enters the tomb of Lazarus so that we can have, so that Lazarus can have life and so that we can all have life. So today we have a, a treat, we're in John chapter 14 so maybe go and grab your Bible. Um, and I mentioned last week, the first half of the book of John is, is Jesus' ministry, these seven miracles or seven signs. And the second half of the book of John is all around the last week of Jesus' life. And we are at the Passover meal, the Last Supper. And we have John's account of what Jesus said at the Last Supper. So in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, we've had Jesus at the supper washing the disciples' feet. We've had Jesus dipping his hand in the bread bowl with Judas and, put, and predicting that Judas was going to betray him. And then we've also had Peter saying, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And Jesus saying, actually, before the end of the evening, before dawn, before the rooster for you Americans crows, before that happens, you will deny me, not once, but three times. Um, and then we carry on the conversation in chapter 14 and verse 1. So let's jump in. I'm reading from the NIV. Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am go would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and a prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be, be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Philip this time, Lord, show us the Father that we, that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. 
So the memory verse for today is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Should we just pray? Lord God, we just pray as we launch into this passage, your Holy Spirit would just bring these life, uh, words to life, that we'd hear your voice in this passage. And Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. Um, there's an invitation in this passage, an incredible invitation. Um, Lord, I just pray that souls will be saved today, that they will be redeemed, that they will find salvation in you. And Lord, I just pray you just soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is an exclusively inclusive invitation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying he is the only way, which is exclusive, but he is available to anyone, which is inclusive. The, but, but the question I ask though, when I read this passage is, the, the way to what? What is, it, what is he the way to? Um, he is the way to the Father. He is the way to have intimacy with God. And access to his kingdom is only found through Jesus. Access to the divine, to the creator, is only through his son, through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only truth. The revealed truth throughout the whole universe is Jesus. The truth you've been searching for is Jesus. And Jesus is the source of eternal life abundant life, this type of life that is only possible through and in Jesus. Now, we haven't got time to go into the need for discernment in today's post-truth culture. We just don't. We can't go there. We also haven't got time to focus on the other things that we are trusting um, in or using to, to earn, almost earn access to God, which would almost be like religious works or activities. We can't even go there. We aren't even going to unpack the fact that God is not at the top of a spiritual mountain where all roads, all these different religions lead to the same place. They don't. That's absolutely not what the Bible says. Jesus says he is the exclusive way to the Father. Why? Because ultimately it's only by us putting our faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death and in his resurrection that we find forgiveness, we find salvation, and we find redemption. We'll look at that a little bit more later on. Now, to understand this story or this passage in context, we need to know that Jesus is sat with his disciples at the Passover meal with wine on the table. And you may have heard of or even been to a Passover meal um, as it was a fascinating documentary on iPlayer over Easter about different countries, Jewish um, representatives almost, coming together and celebrating a Passover meal together. It's fascinating. It's a feast that happens once a year to celebrate and remember the Passover, which is in Exodus, when the Israelites um, put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and are spared and delivered. But it's also a part of the story of God redeeming his people of rescuing them from slavery and taking them to, leading them to the promised land. The meal itself is rich in symbolism. Every aspect means something. Each element describes a part of that Exodus story. And I haven't got time, sorry, to go into all of that. It's just brilliant though, Google it, it's brilliant. But the story of Exodus is the story of God's covenant with his people. God forming this kind of covenant, this contract, this agreement 
with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Now, you can view this covenant, um, this relationship, this agreement in two ways. Kind of as a suzerain vassal treaty where you have like a strong, powerful force that, uh, that agrees to protect the smaller force, the smaller nation. But you can also see this covenant as a marriage covenant, a marriage agreement between God and between Israel. And this is the language found not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. God calls his followers, his church, the bride. And the language of the covenant made in Exodus 6 is like a marriage covenant. So there are four promises that God makes. You can read it, Exodus um, chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. God says this, I am the Lord. And he says one first thing, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second thing, I will free you from being slaves to them. Third thing, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then fourth thing he'll do, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And we're going to look into these promises a little bit later carries on then you will know that i am the lord your god who brought you out from under the yoke under the oppression of the egyptians and over time this language of the of the covenant that god makes between him and uh, himself and israel becomes part of the jewish wedding proposal and it was is also the what the jews reenact every time they celebrate passover so they're in fact remembering the time that god proposed to them as a people as a nation <clears throat> and the four cups of wine in the passover meal reflect these four promises so when jesus at the last supper picks up the cup of wine that's mentioned which is the third cup the cup of redemp redemption or salvation Jesus offers this cup to his disciples and says, this cup is the covenant of my blood, the new covenant. Now, when we, we hear this and we're used to the story of Passover and we know the communion table, but in their culture, they would have heard Jesus proposing to them. And that's where I want to focus on this morning. Because the phrase that we are focusing on, Jesus is saying he's the way, the truth and the life is in the context of Jesus explaining the way to the Father and specifically to his Father's house. And that makes no sense whatsoever unless this is a proposal. So the tradition at the time, did a bit of research this week, was for a young Jewish guy to go round to the girl of his dreams with his dad. Um, the dads would agree a price, which seems barbaric now, um, but this was almost compensation for losing a member of their household, which still isn't great. Um, but also, this price isn't buying the girl. This isn't buying the potential or future wife. It's buying the chance to ask her to marry the son. Does that make sense? She can still say no. And you can imagine the, fa the scene when the two families come together and the groom fills this cup of wine and passes it to his hopefully bride-to-be and says this is my covenant with you will you drink it that's the offer that's the proposal and that's how he would have the young jewish man would have proposed now i personally think the most stressful 
part of proposing to your future wife for anyone that's ever done it is not that bit it's the bit of having to ask the father of the bride whether you can have permission to ask his daughter um, I don't know whether you're in that position or not um, but it's also stressful thinking okay like Sham is saying there was a massive pause when he asked Kate to marry him will she say yes or will she say no and at the point in this ceremony that she takes the cup of wine and drinks it it's her way of saying yes. From that point on, in the community, I read this, that people would refer to her, not by her name, but by saying instead that she is one that is bought at a price. She is one that is bought at a price. Isn't that interesting? And then the next bit is really fascinating and it helps us decipher almost Jesus' words. At that point, she's taken the cup, she has accepted it, they are engaged to be married. If you marry, remember Mary and Joseph, the bride-to-be goes to her home and the groom goes to his house or his father's house. And they wouldn't communicate with each other directly. This might be, could be six months, could be a year. The only way to communicate is through a messenger. Maybe the best man goes between. So what is the groom doing at this point? He's preparing a room for them to live in. He's preparing a place. And it's not a mansion, as the kind of t translation says. It's more like an apartment. It's more like a bolt-on room, like a mini house extension. Now, slightly awkwardly, it's attached to his mum and dad's house, which, I don't know about you, but that's, that could be quite awkward. Um, anyway, that's what he goes away to do. Prepare a place for them to live. And the crazy thing is that the groom doesn't actually have a say in when his building project, his new room, his new apartment is finished. It's for his father to say when it's okay and when it's ready, when it's acceptable. It's, it's the father's seal of approval that says, yes, you can go now and get your wife, get your bride-to-be. And what would happen then when the father of the bride, or the father of the groom gives his approval, he, the, the groom goes and gets all of his buddies, all of his ushers, I suppose, would be the modern equivalent. And they would march into the town to get the bride. And she wouldn't know the hour or the day or the time of when her, um, her bridegroom was going to come. She would just wait for the groom to return. And then the groom and his ushers would ride into town, blowing their horns or their ram's horns and announcing the arrival to the bride. And they'd literally, she would walk out of her house down the aisle to be married. So when Jesus sits with his disciples during this meal and offers his disciples a cup of wine and they accept it, this is the context that Jesus is, is speaking. He's saying, I'm going away to my father's house to prepare a room for you all. And don't worry, there's plenty of space. And he says this, John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place to the where you know the way to the place I'm I'm where I'm going. So two things. Two things I just want to offer to you. Jesus offers us this cup of proposal this morning. He offers us this cup of potential relationship so that we would be called those who have been bought at a price. The proposal Jesus is offering us contains these same four promises. 
I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians, is what the marriage proposal, the original covenant says. We are offered rescue in this first offer, this first promise. Rescue from the oppression of sin and brokenness in this world and in our lives. The second promise that God makes to his, the Israelites, I will free you from being slaves to them. When instead of rescue from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, we are offered freedom from slavery of anything and everything that this world uses to keep us captive. The third thing, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty act of judgment. We are offered redemption. We are bought at a price. Jesus' own broken body and shed blood is the cost for us. The cost that was paid to buy our freedom and redeem us from slavery. And lastly, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And this in the last um, promise is an offer of a new identity that we would be called the people of God. That we would be the bride of Christ, that we would be followers of Jesus. And not only that, but we have access through Jesus, the way, the truth and the life to God. Restored intimacy and restored relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. So, what Jesus is proposing to all of us this morning is rescue, freedom, redemption and identity. And so three things that struck me, just to finish. The first is that we have a choice to make. The proposal is a proposal. Um, whether we receive this cup and drink, whether we receive the proposal, whether we accept Jesus as the way, we have a choice. To where are you at today? Where are you at this morning? Can you say yes to Jesus? Can you say yes to the offer and to the promises? Um, and maybe you've said yes in the past, but you know you've been unfaithful. Um, maybe you know you've neglected this relationship. Maybe today is an opportunity to recommit. Almost what we do now is recommit our vows, our marriage vows. Is that there's an opportunity to respond this morning. And the second thing was this. The new covenant that God is making is easier to understand if we think about it in terms of marriage proposal. If you're married or maybe in a, in a relationship, then the decisions that you make um, are in the context of the relationship you have with your husband or wife or if you're your girlfriend or your boyfriend. So you will ask yourself, uh, are my actions, are my attitudes, are my behaviours going to grieve my husband or my wife? Will it offend them? Do you see what I mean? So you, your actions and your life are lived in, in relationship to God and to this marriage proposal with Jesus. You don't need to go back to the marriage contract and think, well, I don't know if there was a rule about this. Am I allowed to do that or not? No. You think, actually, how will this affect my wife? How will this affect my husband? Will, will this make him sad? Will this make him glad? Will this make him happy? Will he be offended? Will he be jealous? Will they be... Do you know what I mean? So it's not a rule book, which is the old law. This is a relationship. Um, you'll think about, is this thing that I'm tempted to do or going to do compatible with my marriage, with my marriage to Jesus almost? I think that's what the prophet Jeremiah was saying in chapter 31, where he's talking about the new covenant. It says this, Jeremiah 31, 33. 
this is the new covenant, I, or this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. It's talking about the time of the kingdom, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their heart, in their mind, sorry, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The new covenant is written on our hearts. Does that make sense? So lastly, just to finish, the next passage in John's Gospel is when Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. Now, in the context we've looked at today, you can think of the Holy Spirit as being the best man. Does that make sense? The best man, the messenger between the bride and the bridegroom, between us, followers of Jesus, and Jesus himself. Jesus says he doesn't leave us alone to wait for him. Um, John 14, verse 26 says, But the Advocate, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Isn't that amazing that God, Jesus leaves us Holy Spirit to go between, to advocate? Um, and sometimes we need that. That last verse will remind you of everything I have said to you. Maybe this morning you need a reminder. You need Holy Spirit to jog your memory, to remind you. A reminder of those vows, a reminder of the truth, a reminder of the Redeemer, a reminder of freedom from slavery, a reminder of the price paid, a reminder that we don't wait alone. So how will you respond to this this morning or whenever you're watching this? We would love to pray for you. We'd love for you to receive Jesus and to receive his Holy Spirit. That's what's on offer, this exclusively inclusive offer that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. So we would love for you to get in touch with us. If you want to make a decision today and make a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. So why don't you join us for coffee and donuts and we'll get to pray with you. But I'm going to throw this out there. I would love our first service after lockdown to be baptism on the beach. So if you have made a decision or are going to make a decision today to follow Jesus, we would love to baptise you. I can't say when that will be, but as soon as we are allowed to, we would love to baptise you down at the beach when lockdown allows. So if you would like to be baptised and want to go through the um, kind of classes and um, teaching about baptism we would love to do that with you as well so please get in touch hello at farmersvineyard.org i think i've said enough um we're going to go to worship um so dave thank you so much for recording worship from us and i'd maybe get up stand up stretch jump around the room or prayerfully worship god right now